0: Hello and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, where today we're going to try something new. I'm sharing this episode with another Seneca Woman Podcast Network podcaster, spoken word poet and performer Amina Brown. She's the host of a great podcast called Her with Amina Brown. Amina and I have created this crossover episode to share with our audiences and we had a lot of fun doing it. You'll get to meet Amina and hear about her work, and you'll get to know a little bit more about me as well, since we take turns interviewing each other. And of course, there will be talk about parenting. Amina starts us off. She'll welcome me and then we'll get rolling. So welcome to the Ground Control Parenting Her by Amina Brown collab. Enjoy.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Her with Amina Brown. And let me tell you. Hey, this is actually a crossover episode. So I'm going to introduce to you a fellow podcaster who is here with me. So those of you that are listening on her feed, you are listening to an episode of Ground Control parenting as well. So we're we're going to be here having a wonderful experience. I want to welcome fellow Seneca Women Podcast Network podcaster, host of Ground Control Parenting, a podcast about the joy and the job of raising Black children, Carol Sutton
0: Lewis. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much. As you know, I've been waiting to do this for a while. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm excited about this crossover. This is very cool. So I'm I'm really, I'm really Really excited about us doing this.
1: So let me ask you: This was not in my list of questions, but I'm going to ask you so that our listeners can have the setting. I'm always telling Mm -hmm. uh, my listeners that we are we are in a living room. When you imagine Mm -hmm. your listeners, your community around ground control parenting, what's the space in the home where you imagine you are
0: with them? That is such a good question. I would say it's probably the space where I am now, which is, in, we call it our family room or our sitting room. It's where my family gathers, and when friends come, they gather. It's not quite the living room, it's the formality of a living room. It's like where we all sprawl and play games and watch TV. So I'm so dedicated to the concept of having conversations for me it's a lot of parenting conversations but conversations in areas where you can feel relaxed and and be yourself and so this is a room that uh, i think that happens in i like that question i'm going to have to think about that when i'm talking to people <laughs> right right
1: i love that i love i love that that informal living room, many of us, especially those of us who are black and grew up in our black families, we remember the family members that had the formal living room where you were not allowed <laughs> to cross that threshold. We're not, we're talking about a living room. You could take your shoes off and hang out. So I love that. Welcome to all of the ground control parenting <laughs> listeners and community who are here. And welcome to my her with Amina Brown listeners as well. I'm excited for us to
0: talk a little bit today, Carol. <laughs> Same here. And I just have to say to follow up on the living room, um, true confession, we had that formal living room where literally there was plastic on the couch until the company came. I mean, <laughs> I had a friend that used to joke that they had like a like a, a velvet rope. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> because mm-hmm. you could not just go into that living room. You were only special occasions and, and, and God forbid anybody see it with the plastic on. You know, when company comes, you rip that plastic off and then... <laughs> My dad and
1: my stepmother had a living room like that. And we were only allowed to go in it for family pictures. That was the place (laughs) where we took family pictures. That was our one time where we got to sit down actually on the couch itself. (laughs) Otherwise, I was only in there to clean it up. And I was like, why am
0: I in here cleaning up a room? I can't even sit in here. Okay, when this comes out, I'm going to put up on Instagram a picture of my family sitting in the living room with a family picture, because that's exactly, exactly what we did.
1: (laughs) For sure. I got to find mine, too, Carol. I'm going to work on mine, too. Well, part of part of how Carol and I met is that we are both podcasters under the Seneca Women Podcast Network. And it was just wonderful to get a chance to talk with you and hear a bit more about your podcast journey leading up to being on the network because we both had podcast journeys prior to coming onto the network and now um, experiencing how we sort of change a little of maybe the format and things of what we're doing, but not who we're talking to and not why we Mm -hmm. started our podcast in the first place. But before I get to that, you have told us that you would imagine you are in your family room with your listeners. I want to know what is the snack If the people were there in your home, is there a snack that you would offer? Is there a favorite dish that when people come to just hang out, that's a dish they know they're going to have at your house?
0: So I will answer that. I love to have people over. I love to be a hostess. I don't get to do it as much as I I like. I love the presentation. Not the biggest cook in the world, but I love the presentation. So snack presentation is high on my list. You know, Put it out on the plates. And There's usually a hybrid because I tend to eat um, fairly specifically, like uh, healthfully, if you will. I mean, I'm not a big potato chip fan. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big... Doritos fan, however, because a good hostess has to have stuff for everybody. Right. So I will have my almonds and my guac, because guac is really healthy, okay. guacamole and chips. I'll have some cheese and crackers, even if I'm not doing dairy. Those days, some days I do, some days I don't. If I'm not, whatever. I will have the cheese and crackers, I'll have the guacamole, and then I'll have some kind of chip, some kind of interesting chip, you know, sort of um some flavorful chip. And let people sort of have that whatever they want. You know, I, I like giving a, an, a, an array of snacks. I like I like making people feel like there's a bounty, you know, mm. there's, there's there's like a lot of there's good opportunity to, to snack if you want it. So there are a lot of them, whatever they are.
1: <laughs> I, I like a bounty of snacks. I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. glad you brought that word here for us because if I'm going to have a bounty <laughs> of something it is snacks that i want to have a bounty of i appreciate what you said about an interesting like a like a unique cracker or a unique mm-hmm. chip i mm, you know cuz when when you come across a little rosemary olive oil cracker you're like and this is not just a saltine you know i'm supposed to <laughs> layer my colby cheese on top of this like i just i appreciate the choices there carol this is this is good work today okay talk to me about your podcast. I love an origin story, Carol, because Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful when people are listening. Sometimes we don't know that ideas are germinating with us. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't Mm -hmm. realize it. And so I I think it's always good for people to know the origin story because they might realize, oh, I have an idea in me. So what -hmm. what was the original moment that made you go, I need to take this to a microphone?
0: Okay, so... I'll give you just a teeny bit. I tend to tell a long story. I will try to tell a short story. I'll give you a teeny bit about the origin of Ground Control Parenting, the concept, and then I will fast forward to Ground Control Parenting, the podcast. Got it. So... I am a lawyer by training. I have um, three children who are now grown. And much to my surprise, when I started having children, I was actually more interested in spending more time with them than I thought. That sounds weird, but (laughs) I really enjoyed... I mean, I knew I would like having them around, but I really enjoyed um, spending time with them and and watching how they developed and and doing all I could to support that. And uh, just a quick aside... I had a girl first and then two boys. I grew up with two older brothers, one of whom I literally grew up with, and the other one was my half-brother, who was much older. But to make a very long story short, I loved my, my brother, who was closest in age to me, dearly. But I could see from an early age that he was definitely dancing to a somewhat different drummer than certainly my parents wanted. And mm. so I watched the dynamic of a very loving family. Uh, my parents were great and they loved us both dearly, but they had some trouble understanding my brother. He wanted to be an artist. I mean, and and we were a family of educators and my father was a lawyer. I mean, there was a different headset and for black people like families in that era, Sort of it was, because um, he's older than I, it was tough for my family, my father in particular, to sort of to to make that make sense for himself. So watching my parents with my brother and watching there be a little struggle along the way, fast forward to when I had children and I had a boy, I thought, ooh, I don't really have a great role model for boys. I mean, and I'm having this black boy and now in, in America, I need to just really, and 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 I need to really focus on how to do this a little differently And, you know, as I said, I'm a lawyer. I went to school for a long time. What do I do when I don't know? I do research. So I dove into sort of boys and and how boys work. And and, um, so I started when my first son was born, really amassing um, information and going to parent groups, not with an anxiety about it, but more like, let me know what I don't know. And let me think about how, how I should think about this. And over the course of the years with my kids, I tended to keep researching and thinking about parenting in ways like you know, I don't know the answers, but I know how to find some answers. And I was in parent groups that I found really helpful. Over time, as my children grew older, I had all this information that I'd amassed and, and wanted to help out other parents. Cause I had, you know, by good fortune, um, I had the time and the energy to do this. And so many of my friends who were killing themselves at work and were sort of unable to focus, um, I just wanted to give them like shortcuts here, you know, read this book or take this, put your kid in this class, whatever. That's, hence, <laughs> Ground Control Parenting, the blog, was born mm. because I really wanted to um, – it was a combination of, at that point, really wanting to take a more serious – take a step away from active parenting and do something. I mean, work. I I, I struggled when my kids were growing with the fervent desire to spend time with them, but at the same time, the knowledge that I was not using all of my skill sets. I mean, I I was – I was supposed to be doing something more. I don't mean to belittle parenting, but I was supposed to be doing something in addition to parenting. Mm. So I said, let me create this blog and let me put out these resources. I did that for a while, for several years. And I said, okay, now it's time to write a book because I have written a lot. I've interviewed people for the blog and and I want to write a book. And so I put together a book proposal um, with an agent and we sent it out and um, the word came back okay, this sounds good, but who is this woman and why would anybody want to listen to her about parenting? (laughs) So I decided I had to take a, a different approach because my blog certainly had an audience, but it wasn't a vast audience and I had not been as public as I could be. So I started teaching. I taught parenting classes at a local college in their continuing education and that was great. Two things happened. One, Um, My mom was a teacher and I understood the value of lesson plans, so I was doing extensive lesson planning and it was fun and I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. But it took a lot of time and effort to do a lesson plan. And I'd have like, I don't know, 25 people in the classroom. And so at the end of one cycle, I thought, hmm, I'm working really hard to reach a relatively small group of people. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so it was kind of a one-two. I couldn't teach anymore. And um, I thought, well, okay, I'm sitting around. <laughs> I-, I was in New York City in my apartment, my husband, just the two of us for the entirety of the pandemic. And it's like, let me just try to and, and and as importantly, a bunch of my friends were sitting around their places <laughs> with a with a laptop. I said, let me try to put this out mm-hmm. to more people at one time. So a very long-winded short story, but the bottom line was I wanted to take the information that I had been able to disperse sort of locally and just see if it would resonate with a larger audience.
1: I love it. I love it. I love that. And I'm hoping that our listeners will be thinking about the things that they have inside of themselves, these ideas, Mm -hmm. these like desires we have. I mean, that's definitely a part of how my podcast was born. It was actually, in part, born out of anger, which Mm -hmm. can be very inspiring. (laughs) You know, it was born out of anger of feeling like women of color are not getting— the platforms they need, they're not getting the opportunity to come into spaces and share their stories. And I was frustrated watching other people not do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what sent me there. Like, okay, (laughs) well, let me set this microphone. (laughs) Figure out how to tell a story, you know. I would love to hear your thoughts, why you believe it's important for Black women and for other women of color to podcast to exist in the podcast
0: space. Mm, that is a really good question as well. Um I will start with my own personal experience with podcasting. It is it the the experience has been so much richer and deeper than I thought it would be. I I came to this mic uh, with no Frankly, not a whole lot of podcast um, appreciation. I mean, I I sort of listened to some, but I had not. I was not deep in the world of podcasts. And I came with a mission to reach people with information I thought would be helpful. But what this ability, what the ability to sit in front of a mic and and exchange ideas and and broadcast to the world, the empowerment that that can create, it is empowering. It reminds you you have a voice, Um, and even if five people listen to you and they're all family members <laughs> they'll and they say to you i heard what you said and i really it resonated with me there's such affirmation mm-hmm. in the ability to speak your truth speak your thoughts and and have people connect to it and so and that that goes sort of beyond um, any particular episode. You know, we joked about the number of episodes that we do for this podcast world that we're in, and we're grateful to be able to do it, but it's a lot of talking. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, and But just when I feel that, I will hear from someone that they listen to one, and one that frankly was a while ago and that I sort of wasn't top of my mind, and they'll remember something about it, or or more importantly, they'll feel some way or have some experience with it. That wasn't what I intended. And that's actually really glorious. I want to, I want to turn this to you though, because you mentioned sort of your podcast being born out of anger, but your work when you're not podcasting is work that I truly admire. You're doing it and the vocation generally, the, the work of spoken word and the work of poetry. So you had had the opportunity before you came to this mic to sort of stand before people and speak your feelings, what prompted you to add on taking it to the airwaves?
1: Man, I, I, you know, and I guess I I also want to give like a shout out and a rest in peace to Barbara Walters because mm. as a child, I studied Barbara Walters and Oprah Winfrey as interviewers. I always mm. loved the idea Of interviewing people. (laughs) I just thought that was the most fantastic thing you could do. So really, that's sort of how the podcast was born. I didn't, I was coming into it as a stage person, but I was really not thinking as much about that as I was, oh, this will be me getting to like sit down and Interview other women of color where women of color get to be the experts we are. We get to Mm -hmm. be the ones who are sharing the knowledge that we have. We get to be in a role where we are not minimized in any way. That was sort of the space I wanted to make. And then... The rest of the time I was talking and all of the things. So it's been interesting, Carol. Now <laughs> in this iteration of her with Amina Brown, I do some solo episodes and probably my listeners who listen to those solos episodes, they are experiencing a bit more of what I'm like on a stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because on a mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. it is like if spoken word and a one woman show and stand-up comedy. Came together <laughs> in a storm, in a tornado. That's what's happening when I'm on stage. So people now in this iteration of the podcast are getting to hear a little bit of the ignorant things I say
0: on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how different is it for you to prep to walk on a stage than it is to prepare to sit down at a mic? I mean, on, on, let's on in the instances where you're not interviewing someone. Obviously, if you're sure. talking to someone, you you know what you're going to ask. But when you're doing solo. Is it a different prep? Is it a different experience? You There's know, no clapping. <laughs> There's okay, no audience. That, that's
1: the thing I was going to say. I actually think the prep is the same, Carol, but the feed, not having the feedback is very strange. Like talking mm-hmm. to the camera. I mean, talk, listen to me. Well, yeah, sometimes talking to the camera, <laughs> but talking to the mic, like, and not having the gasp. that you might hear (laughs) in the audience or hearing someone like they laughed louder than they meant to. They didn't realize (laughs) it was going to hit them that funny. All those things that happen to you on stage that let you know like, oh, that's working. People Mm -hmm. identify with that. It is very strange podcasting and not having that and a Mm -hmm. podcast episode going out. And sometimes you hear nothing. People listen Mm -hmm. to it. They don't really say anything. Sometimes I get like a random DM. Hey, um, this week's podcast reminded me of something I experienced growing up. And I'm like, yay, <laughs> somebody's out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I, I I appreciate that because from what I understand, I am I am I'm not a stage performer. I mean, I will stand up and talk to people, sure. but I but I I imagine that. The feedback, the energy of the crowd. I mean, you instantly know if something is landing correctly or if, and particularly if comedy if it if it hits, if it doesn't hit, yeah, it's a different, but but it's probably good exercise for you to be able to do them both, yeah,
1: I think so. i i'm I'm curious to see how it will be now like returning to stage. I mean, I've had a few mm-hmm. events since things have kind of opened up um in the pandemic, mm-hmm. but I haven't had that full show feeling, Mm -hmm. where I just went and did a show for an hour. So I'm kind of curious to see now, having spent most of the pandemic talking to a microphone and no Mm -hmm. one was there (laughs) except my (laughs) husband, who's also my producer. So he might be there. That's it, though, you know, like to now see how how is that going to affect what I'm doing when I get Mm -hmm. on stage? I hope it means some things are sharper that way as a storyteller. Mm -hmm.
0: So I have to follow that up with a question. I'm dying to ask. So a little bit of background: I went to Music and Art High School, which is now uh, Performing Arts, the Fame School. It wasn't when I was there, but you know, filled with people who were very talented. I, I was a musician, but not very talented. Uh, so I never. I mean, I would perform when I had to. But clear to me in high school was that there were people that were really good and eager to get on stage, and, and then there were the rest of us. So what I always want to know, in terms of someone who performs, are you? because i always think of sort of stage fright and you know sure, what if you forget sure. stuff particularly when you're playing an instrument what what happens walk me through your walking out are you energized are you do you go into some zone where you know what you're going to say next and what happens god forbid if you like forget a line <laughs> i forget all the time <laughs> i forget
1: all the time i do get in a bit of like a focused zone i would say before i go on stage and i'm always nervous every time. It doesn't matter how small or how large the crowd. I am nervous every time. I have a rule where I typically don't eat like 2 hours or less before an event. I have not thrown up on stage in over 20 years of performing professionally and I intend to keep my stat. So <laughs> I do not eat. So that way we don't there's nothing there. If we right. feel nervous, <laughs> we don't have to worry about those mistakes. And you know, when I was starting, There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't Instagram where people would be like, poet throws up on stage and now you're (laughs) viral for that. You know, that wasn't a thing. People might be like, somebody threw up at this show I was at in random town. Right. right. A hundred people (laughs) were, you know, only those hundred people know you threw up instead of, a thousand people or a million people right. knowing that about you.
0: And then they don't have to see it over and over, like boomerang, like on repeat. That's and then it. Like, and <laughs> then memes come out. Yeah, no, I get That's it. That's it. I don't <laughs> want that for myself.
1: So I, I typically do get really nervous. I get really quiet. I don't like for there to be like a lot of like noise and, and just things that would make me feel anxiety. I always think a lot about my great grandmother and my grandmother, I think a lot about the women in my bloodline and how I am able to do what I'm doing because of them. In in a lot of ways, in a lot of layers of ways, I'm able to do what I do because of them. I think about the circumstances under which they continue to keep their voice and Mm -hmm. that I owe it to them to be who I am boldly and confidently when I get on stage. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that kind of thought like if I if you're watching me on the side of stage and I close my eyes I'm typically thinking about that and then they say your name and it's like once I get up there and get to the mic I I feel I I use living room all the time because I feel like I'm in a living room with those people that's how it Mm. feels to me it's like I immediately feel like what have y'all been doing why are purses like this (laughs) <laughs> who invented a bra? It's like all like the random thoughts. It's just us having a conversation. It just, instead of it being two people, it's however many people are there. And I feel totally comfortable as soon as I get there.
0: Oh man, that's, that's great. I, I can relate a little bit. Um, I in, Long ago I was a litigator mm. and the only good thing, I didn't stay a litigator for long, but the only thing that stayed with me that I still use is that before I walked into the courtroom if I had to make any appearance before a judge the morning right before I would get a gurgling in my stomach I would really feel I would feel it I would be I would feel the physical nerves and although that was not particularly comfortable it reminded me that I need to be like something was going to happen and I need to all my senses need to be sharp and and now when I'm interviewing, when I'm about to sit down for the, for the podcast, if I don't feel a little bit of that, I'm thinking, okay, I better something's not right. I need to be yeah. sharper because you want a little bit of physiological reminder that you know you're about to do something. You need to be ready for it. So I get it that that a little bit of nerves. I regularly have a psychiatrist who visits the podcast, a, a child, an expert in child stress, and he talks about how stress is good. Mm. It it, it 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 motivates you it it um helps you stay clear focused what the bad part about stress is when you get an overload so you really right. want to you're not trying to remain stress free you're just trying to manage your stress mm-hmm. so i think we're both talking about an instance where stress management is helpful for sure for sure <laughs> so i want to actually circle back with a quick parenting kind of question mm-hmm. because i mentioned that my brother was an artist um and and it was tough for my parents who were educators and lawyers, you know, just who had had a different track in life to sort of grasp. I mean, they were supportive. He went to art school, but they were kind of waiting for him to do something else. So you grew up and, and, and at some point, you tell me when, but at some point you knew you wanted to be an artist. So when did that happen and how did your family react?
1: <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting to think about. I, It's almost like if I really think about it, Carol, I don't know if I knew artist at first. I I knew that I wanted to be a writer and I do believe writers are artists. I just don't know if mm-hmm. as a child I had made that connection. You know, like mm-hmm, I would have mm-hmm. I would have thought artists are people who do visual arts or people who perform, they play music, they sing, they dance, those things. Um and honestly, I grew up in my mother's house. It was just a house full of books. Mm. All like just she had and still does to this day, she just had a wonderful library. I just remember as a child, like, peering at her books, you know, once I could read and trying to figure out who is this? Who is Toni Morrison? You know, who Mm -hmm. is James Baldwin? And so I think in a way, because my mom was such an avid reader and she had such a wonderful library, she really encouraged in me this sense of reading and enjoying a story well told. And then I read all these books as a child and just thought, what is the job you do where you put your words in this? (laughs) Because I I would like to be that. I would like to find a way to do that. So I knew very early on it was writer for me. But I truthfully think that I wanted to be a novelist. When I thought about writer, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Then I got into Nikki Giovanni. And, you know, my mom was one of those people who wants to go to a bookstore, whatever city you're visiting or whatever area of town must go in the bookstore, you know, this is an old school thing to say now, but must go in a card shop when it was popular Mm -hmm. for there to be these, like, (laughs) greeting card shops. And, of course, inevitably, the greeting card shop also had little gift books and different things, you know, related to words. I mean, my mom just eats this up, takes Mm -hmm. her two daughters in all of these places, which all of that, I think, just gave me this sense of the importance of words And wanting to write. So by the time I started reading poetry, that was the first thing I probably started writing on my own, Mm -hmm. like in my little notebooks and things. And my mom also was a big proponent of journaling. She encouraged us as um, her daughters to journal because she would say, that's your one place in this world where you're unedited. It's not for anyone. No Mm -hmm. one's grading it. It's not for class. It's a place for you to put your thoughts, put your feelings. So I journaled a lot. But then by the time I got a notebook where I was like, here's my poetry notebook. Now, I know that this is not a thing that parents do today when I'm about to say my mom did. But my mom told <laughs> us that there was no such thing as privacy in her house. And I know that is not how the people <laughs> parent today. But that's what she said to us back then. It's no privacy in my house. If I find a notebook, I'm reading it. If I find a little note you wrote in class, I'm reading it because I need to know what you're doing, (laughs) what you're up to. So she was true to her word. She read one of my notebooks and she said, this is actually really beautiful poetry. She was like, why don't you share this other places? You know, I mean, you know, as your mother would say, she's obviously like... (laughs) This is a brilliant person. <laughs> I have birthed, you know. Why right. why would you not take this to the New York Times at 12 <laughs> years old or whatever? And because she was my mom, I just I was like, you're not a respectable critic of my work. <laughs> you know, like you're not <laughs> the voice for me to know, is this actually going well? So I I just didn't believe in it. And she is, she is truly the reason that I am even performing to this day. Cause I just, I don't think without her pushing me that I would have made the connection that that's a thing I could do.
0: Wow. That is such a great story. Lots of great parenting stuff in there and that I just have to step back and, and point out. First of all, the library, I mean, parents everywhere need to understand that the more books you have around, the more positively you can influence your children to read. I mean, we definitely, I grew up with a lot of books and, and God knows my husband is the world's most avid reader. So this, our shelves, I mean, you see behind me, our shelves are lined with books. So, it's lovely to hear your vantage point of being around all those books and them and having that experience, how it encourages you to read. Um, and then secondly, this is such a great story because, you know, more often than not you hear the story, it's like mine and my brother's where the parents didn't understand. And they were like, that's interesting, but now what are you going to do? I mean, your mom was like, Hey, <laughs> this is something that you should be doing that. That is amazing. And, and just finally about the, the no privacy. It's so funny. Um, I, I remember that vividly that, you know, and, and and I tried to institute that with my children early days when um, Facebook was a thing. When my kids were growing up, that was the thing. The first thing was Facebook. And my rule was, you can only have a Facebook um, page if I am your friend, if you friend me. You have to friend me. <laughs> so, because I just, like your mom, I just didn't want there to be like this whole other world. <laughs> that that. And I guess for me, the difference was, Maybe they could have had their own little worlds in their books that they kept in their room, but on Facebook they were creating this over <laughs> the world that a bunch of other people were looking right. at. <laughs> but so I can I can appreciate that feeling. I'm I'm impressed that she found stuff and read it. God I mean, I, I definitely had that desire. <laughs> and yes, I know it's not what you're supposed to do with your children. However, <laughs> there was a time parents
1: did, and sometimes yes. it worked out. There are a lot of times it didn't. This is one case with my mom <laughs> that her reading those things <laughs> totally worked out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Either that or you became a really good hider of
1: things. right? I mean, (laughs) and she, and she knows me. It's like, I've never, I've never, I just like, I I have a lot of brain capacity for other things. Hiding is not one of them. I have been telling on myself since I was like five or six years old. I just don't (laughs) like inadvertently just tell on myself. So she, she knew the vibes. (laughs) She knew what I was going on there.
0: (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) you know just one other thing occurs to me your mom encouraged you to journal which i think is really great um i, I had the opposite experience but it didn't dim my interest i was an english major and i loved mm, to write me too. didn't have me too Didn't. oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah didn't have i didn't have writing aspirations per se but i i you know it was a pipe dream to to write a book i mean as i said i, I tried once already and my mother was uh, she too? Was an English major. She was a reading teacher. She was just all about the books, but. She was a very, very private person, very mm. introverted, had an extroverted daughter, but she was a very introverted person. And she used to say to me, don't ever write anything down that you wouldn't want to read on the front page of the New York Times. Wow. Yeah. And I knew I, I, that I remember that like it was yesterday. I mean, she was a very private person mm. and, you know, that was evidence of it. She didn't want me to sort of write something down and have somebody read it that I didn't want to read it. So... You know, I guess you could take that to one way would be just to obey. Sure. <laughs> but, but for me, it it gave me some insight that there would be an issue if I wrote something down that was problematic. But it didn't stop me from wanting to write or write things down. Mm. and And as I grew older, and I kind of understood the you know, it's funny when you get to a point and you realize your parents are actually people and that their <laughs> their guidance, mm-hmm comes from a place, comes from their very specific place mm-hmm. and you can respect it, but you just realize it's just, it's, it's not sort of all knowing, all being, it's sort of knowing some, but from a very different, very specific perspective, yeah. as I got older and I started to, I don't journal, but I definitely have lots of notebooks where I started to write my thoughts. I have to say, as as freeing as that is, in the back of my mind, I can still, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm either my mom is is long gone now unfortunately but i'm either writing thinking ooh ma you wouldn't like this <laughs> you know? right or and i'm also thinking okay i need to like put this away somewhere safely so <laughs> the new york times doesn't get it right that part <laughs>
1: i mean i'm not going to lie about it my younger sister we are almost 11 years apart and i have definitely given her some very specific instructions cuz i imagine that she may be here after i'm gone so i've told <laughs> her when i go you get in that house for those people and I'm going to put my <laughs> journals in a place and you get you get that stuff out of my house. I don't want anybody posthumously putting out some stuff that I didn't mean to be put out. So that's that's our little directive we have as sisters. It's a certain box. Whenever I move to a different house, I always take her in a closet and say this box right here. When I'm gone, you come in here first and get it. I don't <laughs> want those people in here. no. Mm-mm.
0: Nope. <laughs> okay, but what's she supposed to do with it? She has to keep it. She has to hand it down. I mean, she's gotta. It's gotta live. You can't. Does it get buried with you? I mean, what happens to the box? You know,
1: there have been different instructions for different times. There was a time that I was like, "You are gonna burn everything this year. <laughs> 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 now I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you know, you know, if I had children, maybe I'd want them to have it. But then, you know, I always think about um, one of my favorite films, "Bridges of Madison County." Uh, with Meryl (laughs) Streep. And the kids, after she passed, the kids were going through all her stuff and realized she had an affair with this (laughs) National Geographic photographer. And I'm like, you know, and now they're freaked out because they're like, oh my gosh, my mom had a sex life. And I'm like, what if this lady didn't want you in that? (laughs) She didn't want you to be in it. She did that for herself. You know, so I'm like, I feel like there's still, Carol, There's maybe there's two boxes. You know, I feel like there's some (laughs) boxes of things that I'm like... Herein, if I had a child or a niece or a nephew or a mentee, here's a mm-hmm. box that I would want mm-hmm. you to have access to. But there are some things, Carol, that are not for the people. <laughs> They're not. And I think
0: the burn instructions will still be true for that box. So I think that all of our listeners, everyone across our two podcasts need to think seriously about having two boxes Yeah, because mm-hmm. there is definitely a world where the things that you muse about, the things that you think are important, the things that you think could be helpful need to be kept. I mean, my, both my parents had gone and when my, my um, mom passed away, I had all my, her stuff and my father's stuff, which she had kept. And I was randomly like throwing things out until I realized this was my father's writing. This was, you know, and that was really important to me suddenly to keep it because I wanted to see his words on a page. I wanted, and there's something about just understanding what people were thinking. So that's really important. There's stuff that needs to be preserved. And then <laughs> there's the stuff where it felt really good to write it down. It was really important for you to have it to go back to. But yeah, it needs to be. And, and I mean, there should definitely be two boxes because you should definitely have that second box. It should exist. Right. It just needs to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I want, Carol. <laughs> a
1: self-destruct. And certain, certain people, I don't want reading that. I don't want anybody to be like, wow, this is salacious. Let's put a book out. No. No. I don't know how it it works in the afterlife, but don't make me come back and tell you don't do that. Don't make me do that is what I'm saying.
0: No. Yeah, yeah. And one, I mean, I'm sounding old when I say this, but, you know, all this cancel culture now, you know, sort of like, <laughs> <Okay>. God forbid. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like, know what I wait, said. Wait. No. <laughs> I know. And, and, you know, you you go out in this sort of blaze of, of story. Oh, she was so great. She did this and that. And then they find some stuff you wrote when you were 12. Well, I wrote when I was 12. And they're like, mm. X and that one shit. journal and that's it. Now I mean, now
1: no. your descendants can't get no royalties off of exactly.
0: anything. <laughs> Good night. Nope. No. <laughs>
1: Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Okay. There's a business here, the self-destructing journal-keeping box. That's what we need.
1: I really, I thank you for bringing that up, Carol. Listeners, we know you're out there. (laughs) Please let us know that you have this because I, it's like, we need like a safe that, you know, you could tell it or somebody could press a button or you give somebody the code. They take that thing out there somewhere and everything just incinerates inside. That's what we need. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: Okay, good. Well, you know, what, imagine In this short space of time, together, we have created a business model, a business opportunity. Look at us, Carol. We are solving the world's (laughs) problems, okay? We are. We absolutely are. Great minds thinking together. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. Okay. I have one more series of questions for you because, you know, my head is always in the in the the parenting mode. But, but I want to talk about, I mean, you mentioned not having kids. I, I have not yet, there's a world out there in, in parenting that I haven't yet addressed in my podcast. This is a great opportunity to start. And that is my fervent belief in the world that people who help raise up kids, but didn't give birth to them play in the role of kids. Sure. Like I've, you know, certainly grandmothers, of course, but aunties, especially play aunties, I mean, you know, your, your chosen family that helps you and godmothers and friends and, you know, people that are just around you, they, there, there can be such a special relationship. And so I want to ask you first, when you were growing up, did you have any kind of relationship with say your mom's friends or with play aunties? And then if, do you provide that for anybody?
1: One of the things I really love about now, now, as a grown woman, looking back at how my mom raised me, is my mom had such rich relationships with other women, most mm-hmm. of them being other Black women. So there was this moment where her friends would come over and I was one of those little kids that loved to eat all the little veggies, all the little broccoli florets and the little <laughs> baby carrots and all, you know, the little cauliflower thing. And so they would sit there and eat little veggies with me. But at a certain time at night, I knew I had to go to bed. So that they could stay up and talk. And as a little girl, I just remember fervently feeling in my bed, I am one day going to be grown so that I can stay up (laughs) with my girlfriends and do whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're doing, but I want to do that. I want to be a part of it, but I'm too young, you know. So there's just so much like reverence I have for that because in general, she was modeling for me how to be in community with other women and how important mm-hmm. it would be in so many phases of life to have these women that you could stay up late <laughs> talking to them <laughs> or, you know, come by the house at whatever time and and chat with them. So I I think that's a big a big model there that I look back on now and feel really grateful. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I remember one of my mom's friends is the one who taught me how to do my makeup for the first time because I was very, you know, when you get to that 12, 13 for me, that was like, a girl is very fascinated a girl wants to know about lipstick mm-hmm. a girl wants to know what should she do what should she not do and her friend lisa she sold beauty control which i guess I, maybe beauty control still exists but it was kind of like an avon mary kay kind ah. of mm-hmm. model and so she did the whole thing, taught me how to wash my face, how to moisturize the toner. You know, like she came over <laughs> and did like what, what you would go to the makeup counter in the department mm-hmm. store. She like came to our house and did that for me and got to show me sort of how to do, you know, an an appropriate look for my age at that point. And that was so helpful to me because, you know, the women in my family we we were coming from like a church background, like a Pentecostal holiness background where women weren't supposed to wear makeup. So my mom yeah. was actually rebellious to that by wearing the bright lipstick that she mm-hmm. wore, you know, but I didn't grow up seeing my grandma use mascara and things like that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that was wonderful to have another woman, you know, around that mm-hmm. could say, oh, I see this is a thing <laughs> you know, that you're interested <laughs> in. Let me show you how to do this the right way before you get some red lipstick and just... Do <laughs> just do things up your face. on your face. Let's let's try to figure out what we're doing, you know. So that's one like strong memory I can think of. But my mom had a lot of wonderful women friends in her life. We had wonderful church community too. My mom was a single mom, raising mm-hmm. my sister and I. So We had a lot of people around us that were father figures at points, were Mm -hmm. mentors at points, were showing us how to do various things. My youth pastor taught me how to drive. You know, there were just all these like... (laughs) You know, my mom tried. She was There was just a lot of like, Mina! A lot of like yelling like that. <laughs> and she was like, somebody else, I got to do this. This is somebody else's job. It's not me. I can't be the person. <laughs> so that was really wonderful to think of too, to see this wonderful church community that I grew up in to surround my mom as a single mom, mm-hmm. that she never felt um, like alone in parenting us, that she knew she mm-hmm. had some other people. I mean, I remember dating boys and people in the church being like, why are you dating so-and-so? And I'd be like, well, you can be talking to my mama. Why are you asking me? Like, I'm in love. Obviously, obviously <laughs> we're 15. We're going
0: to get married. You're not going to marry him.
1: No. No, thank you. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. See those friends, those play aunties, they can say stuff that you can't hear from your mother. No.
1: No, like I distinctly what... remember my youth pastor. My, this is this is telling my age, y'all, because we didn't have cell phones, obviously. But it was very popular when I was in high school for some parents to get their teenagers their own phone line where you had your mm. own number. And then there was like the house number, because otherwise, if it was just the house number, my mom was definitely one of those moms that would pick up the phone and be like, hello, I need to use oh, the yeah, phone.
0: This is the mom that would read the things. Yeah, that's that right. No, and I'd be like,
1: wait, I'd be like, mom, OK. And then we would wait and she'd be like, say goodbye. Like she wouldn't even oh, give you yeah. the opportunity. Like she wouldn't even hang up and let you say goodbye. She'd be like, y'all say goodbye so I can use my phone. So I felt very excited <laughs> when she gave me my own phone line, Carol. It was, it was the 90s. So I had a every part of the phone was a different color. The receiver, the bass, the core, they were all bright. It was very great. And was I talking on that phone past bedtime when my mom told me? That I should be off the phone? Of course I was, Carol. <laughs> of course I did. And my mom went in there and grabbed that phone. I just remember her arm winding winding the cord around that phone <laughs> and putting it somewhere that I just didn't know where. And I remember going to my youth pastor and complaining to him. I remember going to him and saying... This lady, and he he wasn't married at the time that I can remember. Maybe he had just, maybe he was just about to get married at this time. He was engaged. He's like, really? She took your phone? I said, she took my phone away, rubbed the cord around it and took it out of my room. And he was like, wow. He was like, man, so um, who who paid for the phone? Like who bought the phone? And I was like, I mean, she bought it, but it was a gift. And, like, you can't buy a gift for someone and then just take it back. You can't do that. He was like, oh, man. So um, who paid the bill? Like, when the phone bill came, who paid it? And I was like, I mean, she did, but, like, she's a mom. She should she should pay it. So I, I, I don't have a job. I'm a child. How could I do that? He was like, oh, man. And, um... Who pays for like, you know, the roof, like over your head and everything? Like who pays for the house where you live? And I was like, well, she does because that's so it's like the more he was asking me, the more I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) And he was like, you know, I think you might owe your mom an apology for how you reacted and how you weren't following the rules. Because it's really her phone, if you think about it. You know, it's her phone in her house, in her bedroom. You're sleeping on a bed she bought. And I was like, why did he use the logic against me like this? (laughs) You know, like I really, I went to him, Carol, expecting him to be like, how dare she take your phone? That's your one way of communication (laughs) to the outside world. How dare she? What a terrible parent. Let us tell the elders of the church. We have a terrible mother (laughs) in the church. And I'm walking away going to apologize to this lady <laughs> for taking my phone. That conversation was not supposed to go this way. But that's an example <laughs> of having mm-hmm. someone who's not your parent that can ask you some questions, get you to thinking about your choices, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a great example. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What kind of a play on did you think you would be? Would you be the kind that would say like you wanted your youth pastor to say, girl, she did that. Okay, wait, I'll talk to her because that is not right. Or would you be the kind that would say, okay, and can we just revisit (laughs) sort of, I mean, would you be team kid or would you be team mom? You know, this is fascinating because my
1: sister and I both have actually talked about this, like, as we've gotten older. And, you know, you, we're sort of at that point where we're like, wait, we are the age that our aunts and uncles were when we were children. So that still feels mm-hmm. weird because when we're with our aunts and uncles, we still feel like the kids and like mm-hmm. they're the adults. But when we actually get by ourselves, we're like, we are actually the age they were when we remember them as children. And so we have talked about, like, who who is the cussing auntie <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've talked about that because you need to have at least one of those. You need to have at least one auntie that's the person that cusses and is the mm-hmm. person who's going to have a good drink, you know, mm-hmm. at the family gathering. And I I've always wanted to be the auntie that if if children have questions regarding relationships and sex that they know they can come and speak to me and that I'm I'm going to speak the truth to them and give them mm-hmm. some rounded wisdom that I wish had been spoken to me when I was their age, mm-hmm. give them some things mm-hmm. to think about. But especially for those of us who grew up in church settings, when it comes to dating and sex, you you really aren't getting the information because people in the community feel like the less they tell you, the, the less amount of trouble that you may get mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. when the opposite mm-hmm. is honestly really true. So I feel that that probably to some people has been my role a little bit, that if you have a question, Mm -hmm. I'm the person that you can come and speak to, and I'm going to tell you the truth about that.
0: That is a really valuable role to play because, you know, we all, when it comes to talking to our kids about relationships and, and, and especially about sex, we all kind of first dive back into how we were brought up and if they, if if we appreciated it if it was a good way we do that but if if it wasn't we try to go in another direction and i will tell you that um even even with your partner i mean my husband and i had different approaches i was all about the okay we're going to talk about this because this needs to be talked about but you know with three kids they each react to me differently in terms of how much they want to share and and i you know my mom laid down for me and i fully uh, agree that I'm not trying to be my kids' friends. I'm not trying to create a relationship where we tell each other every single thing, right? Right. Because you know, you talked about the trauma of people finding out, you know, in the after their mom is gone, and the, the books that you know she had an affair with a, with a, some guy, a photographer. I, I, I don't. I think kids. No matter how old they are, there's this image you have of your parent that you kind of don't want completely shattered. Right. I mean, as you get older, you acknowledge your person, your, you know, your mom, your mom, your dad, they're people, they have perspectives. You don't agree with them necessarily. They are the way they are. They're not you, but you don't want, um, so, so it's, so it's hard. Um, I, so I say all that to say that I respect that my kids, they're all grown now, but they're not like call me up every five minutes to tell me right. some new event, but with a but, it's really important that they have somebody else that they can go and ask questions to mm-hmm. because I, I want them to talk to a third – I want them to talk to somebody. Right. <laughs> I don't want I, – I, I you know, our parents are whoever they are, and I think it's really important to have another person that's not them so you just get a different perspective and, and a, a valuable one. Now, you know, if you're that real or play auntie that, you know, likes a good drink and, you know, is, is the wild one, cussing all the time and all that – you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you you got some balance there. Sure, sure, sure. You don't want sure. to send your child off with some somebody who's telling her about ways that you don't necessarily agree with. But, <laughs> but I, I really, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting and kind of a dicey relationship. I mean, I am friendly with some of my children's really good friends, but I know the line that I can't cross right. in terms mm-hmm. of asking about my child. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I can't, right. it's like, mm, I'm not going to put them in that spot. I can't, I mean, I'd love to know, and I'm really close to this person, but I'm not, mm, can't do that. It's so weird. I mean, it, you, you, you spend so much time you know with these children and then suddenly there's there there have to be boundaries and distance and res- and res- you have to respect them so Those play aunties come in handy because, girl, you know, I have called up my girlfriend and like, listen, (laughs) she's not going to talk to me about this. But if there's some way (laughs) that you could talk to her, I would be very grateful. Okay, (laughs) put it out there. And the the last
1: (laughs) thing I'll say to Carol is, you know, and I I especially experienced this in my friendships with women. I think there are all these different uh, phases of life, right, that we experience Mm -hmm. as women. And. Some of that is related to maybe where our career goals are, where that ends up. And some of us thought we were going to work for somebody else and then we end up becoming entrepreneurs. And some of that's related to our relationships. If we decide to marry someone or be in a long term partnership, if we thought it was long term and that relationship ends or we end Mm -hmm. up experiencing divorce, however, our journey is towards parenting, whether we actually become parents or not. And then those Mm -hmm. of us who do the phases of that and the developmental stages and all. And one of the things that I would say has been a real uh, joy and I feel an important thing in my life is I think it is important for us to have friends who are in our phase of life because we need that sense of feeling understood, you know, in the particular phase we're in. But I think it's also helpful when we have friends who may not be in the same phase Mm -hmm. of life that we are. Like, I've been an entrepreneur now over 10 years of my life. It's wonderful for me having friends who aren't and talking to them about (laughs) their jobs and how they navigate their workspaces and them hearing from me about this. You know, I don't have children and I've walked through the various journeys of my friends, some Mm -hmm. whose journey towards parenthood was easy. And when they actually got To parenthood was really hard, and some Mm -hmm, whose journey mm -hmm. towards parenting was very difficult. And so, for some of my friends, I may be one of a small number of friends they have that don't have children. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to get a lot of mom talk, so I don't need to provide that to you. I'm here to Mm -hmm. remind you that you are a woman, also outside of the fact that you are a mother to these children that I know you love very much. And also you'd like to leave and go to Tuesday morning or go grab a cup (laughs) of coffee by yourself or use the bathroom without having anyone's little fingers coming under the door. It's my job to remind you that you're gorgeous and beautiful. You're a sexual being. You are not just that. And I think when we have friendships that give us that sort of cross-section, it gives us some um, ability to see each other in our different mm-hmm. phases of life and not assume things about what may be going super easy or what may be going really hard. We get a chance mm-hmm. to walk through that with each other. And I've really um enjoyed that about the women that are in community with me.
0: Mm, I, I just have to quickly add that one of my dearest friends, who we've been friends for over thirty years now, jeez, um, and, she is um, a, a wonderful woman, a very successful film and television producer, has had an amazing life and, and a great career and continues to have one. And when we met, she was, this was was abandoning a legal career to sort of try her hand at Hollywood. She was just like pivoting completely, as was I, because I was leaving a job I really loved I was getting married and my husband's work required him to move to Chicago. I didn't know anybody in Chicago. So we were both pivoting in directions that we were excited by, but kind of wary of. Long story short, we've joked about this for the past 30 years, that if you could mush our lives together, you know, I I did the kid thing in the, you know, the sort of, I'm still married to 30 some odd years. I mean, we're definitely, I have the domestic thing and I agonized for decades on not having that career that I thought I was going to have. And she has the hellfire career and, you know, is divorced and didn't have kids. And so we serve that, what you just talked about, that role for each other. It is, it is both um, the one that the, the friend that is, is not going to burden you with all the, whatever it is that they're talking about, you want to hear because right, it's not your life. Right, I mean, right, right. Whatever mm-hmm. work stress or whatever, it's like, you want to eat that up but we're also the ones to tell each other that, you know, as good as this looks w- from the outside, you know, it, it, you know, it's great on one level. Here's how it's not great. Right. And, you know, sort of here's the reality of the situation mm-hmm. versus the sort of, you know, the, how, how it looks, you know, that the lives, both of us are lives. I mean, it's, it's really been amazing to sort of have this journey with her where, you know, she's at the Oscars, she's at the, I mean, she's, and I'm like, oh, my, and, and, and I'm, thrilled for her and I'm excited to hear what's going on. And, and then, you know, but I know the 360 of it, you know, so that's, that's really, really valuable. So I, I so applaud your interest in your work and making community of women because I don't know where we would be without them. Okay. That's it for real, Carol. (laughs) That is it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So can I, I, I we're wrapping up here. First first of all, I want to thank you so much. I've had so much fun. Yeah. This has been really great. Yeah, it's been really really great. I've loved talking with you as I knew I would, but it's really been amazing. And can I just slide in for the very end the um what I do on my podcast which is the GCP for ground control parenting Lightning Round. Okay. I will give you an abbreviated version of the Lightning Round okay. just ask you Two questions. Mm -hmm. First one should be easy, and that is, what is your favorite poem or saying? Mm -hmm. I'll give you the both, and then you can answer. The second one is, give me your favorite two children's books, books you remember from growing up or books you've given to friends, you know. So, poem, favorite poem, favorite children's book.
1: My favorite poem is Theme for English Bee by Langston Hughes, and it has a line that says, go home and write a page tonight, and let that page come out of you. Then it will be true. Mm, That's my favorite love one. Love that. Um, my two favorite children's books, my top one is Goodnight Moon. <gasps> Still my favorite. Love that. And my second one is Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. My mom read that to both my sister and I. And it's a it's a wonderful story, but it's also gorgeous. The illustration mm. in it is just Beautiful. So still I, I actually still have a copy in my library. Like that's one that I needed to have a copy of for sure.
0: Yeah. Those are great, great answers. You probably should get a copy of Good Night Moon. That is a very also have key a copy of that meditative, one. Meditative. Oh yes. It's, I'm, I, it's I, a meditative I
1: a, book. I'm a collector of books around here. I'm I am now like, <laughs> it doesn't matter if I read them. I need to see them in my home. That's where we're at, Carol. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, I agree. Definitely on the, it doesn't matter if I read them, but (laughs) (laughs) anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. Great answers.
1: This was so great. Thank you for joining me. I I am happy to be invited into the family room with you. And I was glad (laughs) to bring you here into the living room where we could eat gorgeous snacks. We could have (laughs) rosemary crackers. I'm just, yes, I'm here for all of it. I will make sure we're sharing all the information, but for my listeners, please make sure that you go and take a listen to Ground Control Parenting podcast hosted by Carol Sutton Lewis.
0: Yes. And for all of my listeners, please, right after you listen to this, go listen to her with Amina Brown, and you'll be glad you did. Thanks, Carol. I'll see you soon. (laughs) See you soon. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.